Hello and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's episode, we'll be interviewing the lovely Christine Cattell. Christine played the flight attendant who tells Jerry he has to leave this plane in the classic season six episode, The Diplomats Club. We'll also be discussing the episode, The Diplomats Club, which we feel is one of the more underrated and unique episodes from the series. Yeah, so we interviewed Biff Yeager a while back. Biff played Mr. Heyman in the library. And in that episode, we played clips from our interview with Biff. And we also had a full discussion about the episode, The Library. And at the end of the episode, we asked our listeners if they enjoyed that format and would like us to do it again. And we got a lot of positive feedback from it. So we decided to try it again with this episode. We chose this episode for a few reasons. The first being that this is one of those season six episodes that kind of gets buried by some of the more famous episodes that come before and after it, like the Fusili Jerry and the Face Painter. Also, like you mentioned at the top, this is a very unique episode because for the most part, all four characters are completely separated and don't really interact that much. But if you break it all down, there are still some great scenes and great characters who appear, and I think it makes for a very fun episode to watch. Oh, it's so much fun to go back and rewatch it because that's one of those episodes that you first hear about it. You're like, the Diplomats Club. Now, what's that one about? And me personally, I always kind of got it confused with the Friars Club, uh, I think just because it's, you know, the club and club. And also, yeah, it's sandwiched in there between some of those classic season six episodes like the Fusili Jerry and the Face Painter. And you have the understudy and just probably gets buried for a lot of people. But upon rewatch, it's interesting when you go back and you watch the DVD extras how many real life things came up in this episode, you know, even for Seinfeld and also that there's no real dovetailing at the end. Like we said, most of the characters are separated and yeah, and we'll get into it later, but a lot of great guest stars that pop up and also a very sort of dramatic Elaine storyline that really is something that we didn't see too much in the series. Oh, absolutely. And I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it. But before we discuss this episode, we're going to give you a little taste from our interview with Christine. So here are a few questions we asked her. Uh, So did you ever watch Seinfeld before you appeared on the show? I did. I mean, it was one of those iconic shows. It was pretty hard to miss. And my parents were devout fans. They thought it was the funniest show ever. I think they watched it every day at seven o'clock after they'd had their dinner. Um, And because I moved 3,000 miles away, it was a nice chance for them to see me occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I was certainly very aware of the show and a fan of the show. And um, yeah, it was very much uh, uh, one of the most popular shows of that time, for sure. Oh, yeah, especially when you appeared. And the ratings just skyrocketed after that, I must say. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you ever audition for any other roles on Seinfeld, either before or after your appearance in the Diplomats Club? No, as a matter of fact, which was why I was so excited and surprised when I got it, because um, I'd only been living in California for a few years. I'd moved out from Canada, and um, it was one of those shows, uh, one of those auditions that my agent threw at me. Okay, you're going in tomorrow for Seinfeld, and I'm oh my gosh, called my mom and dad, I'm going in tomorrow for Seinfeld. I probably (laughs) won't get it. And uh, it was just an honor just even to uh, audition for it. And uh, first of all, I had to read for the casting director and then they brought me back and read in the room. But um, 
yeah, it was very, it was a very exciting time in one of the earlier auditions here in California. So it was a, it was a good one. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we're going to ask you, so how did you first hear about the role and what was the audition like for it? Um, I'm sure like all of them, it was just as nerve wracking as anything. Um, I heard about it because the casting director had brought me in for a few things and everything goes through the agents. So my agent obviously submitted me and then I got the appointment and went in and read for it. And uh because I thought I wasn't going to get it, that classic, you know, this is just a meeting kind of attitude and I'll just do the best I can and have fun. Um, I wasn't too nervous. Um, it wasn't like going in thinking, I've got to get this job. You know, this song <laughs> reports like, please, God, I need this job. It was, um, let's see what happens. And it was just something to be able to say, I auditioned for that. So yeah, it was um, it was quite the uh, quite the thrill when I got it. And do you know if there was anything specific in the audition that you did that they really liked or anything like that? I think probably because I wasn't pressuring myself to be funny or to get the job. I just had fun with it. And usually... Those are your best auditions, especially when you're auditioning for comedy. Um, I really kind of just went in and played the scene. You know, this guy's out of control on the plane and I've got to get him off without upsetting anybody else. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was um, it was it was a fun little moment. But I don't. Yeah, I don't remember doing anything that. Oh, wow, that that cinched it. I think maybe they just liked my hair that day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever works. <laughs> whatever works. No one ever asks why you got the job. You just take the job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to give them a second to reflect. Oh, yeah, why did we give you this job? <laughs> uh, it was a pleasure to talk to Christine. And we'll play more from our interview with her when we get to her scene. But this episode, The Diplomats Club, first appeared on May 4th, 1995. It was written by Tom Gamble and Max Pross. Yeah, and Gamble and Pross also do the commentary on the DVDs, and they really give some interesting insights. They're a writing team that wrote some classic Seinfeld episodes like the Mom and Pop Store with the John Voight car and brought a lot of elements of their own experiences into their own life. I believe Tom Gamble was actually a member of the real-life uh, Admirals Club at the time that they recorded it. And they also brought some more, a little bit the wackier elements to the show as well. Oh, yeah, they really contributed some great storylines in those later season episodes. But this episode starts off in Jerry's apartment. Jerry gets off the phone with Bridget, his supermodel girlfriend. She's going to be out of town for a month, but he has six hours. <laughs> Jerry tells Elaine that he has a show in Ithaca. It's at three o'clock, and then he's flying back to meet Bridget at the Diplomats Club in the airport. Meanwhile, Elaine tells Jerry that she is going into Mr. Pitt's office and she is telling him that she is quitting. <laughs> She's marching in. And then I like when George says, I've done the march in. Best feeling in the world. How about the march out? Not as good. <laughs> That's when you realize all the money you're losing. That kind of reminds me of in the Susie when George says he wants to make a really great entrance, you know, with the ball. And uh, 
also reminds me of the millennium when George really wants to leave his mark. He wants to walk away from the Yankees with people going, wow, now that guy got canned. <laughs> but it also reminds me of the revenge, too. Of course. You are a laughing stock. <laughs> you are a- laughing at you. <laughs> and then George tells Jerry he needs to borrow his camera because he wants to put a picture of him and Mr. Morgan up in his office. He's reorganizing the whole staff and he's on thin ice with this guy as it is. Isn't putting his picture on your desk a little transparent? It better be. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I love about George is he hatches these schemes, but he's proud of it. He's going to own it, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just in his head. This is how it's going to work out where, you know, Mr. Morgan is going to come in and see this picture and he thinks, oh, yeah, that's it. We're going to be best buds now. Yeah. And it's such a classic George story. Like some guy he's not getting along with, like he's going to put his picture on his desk. Like, well, how would you feel if you walked by in the office and you saw your picture like of someone who you don't even like or don't talk to? It's like, what? Yeah. Like, I know it's just very confusing like, of all the things he could try to do. Uh, it's just a perfect George story. It really is. Yeah. And then in the next scene, Elaine is marching into Mr. Pitt's office. And right as she's about to quit, Mr. Pitt cuts her off and says, Elaine, do you know what I just did? I've just amended my will to include you as a beneficiary. Oh, Mr. Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, once Elaine hears this, her demeanor completely changes. We don't want anything to happen to you, Mr. Pitt. We want you to live a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> she gives him the kiss on the head. Oh, it is it is kind of a sweet moment, you know, the fact that we've seen Mr. Pitt and Elaine have their ups and downs. And even from the beginning, you know, when Elaine is looking for socks, he gets upset with her and he's having her do all these like menial tasks. And the one that makes sense is he's when she's picking the salt off the pretzels, because if he has high blood pressure, you know, wants to decrease salt intake. But I found it kind of interesting. And I guess it was to drive the story along, you know, just as a throwaway line. But. Why would Mr. Pitt have that cold medicine in his house if he wasn't supposed to take it? Oh, that's a great point. You know, unless it was a thing where he had it from before and then he had a problem with it. And then, you know, Elaine, he forgot and like Elaine threw it out and she was like, that's why she had to remind him, you know. Or maybe he just keeps asking the wrong people at the pharmacy. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, he just finds any schmuck in a white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> But we then cut to Yankee Stadium where George is taking pictures with his co-workers. George only has one picture left and he says, hey, how about a shot of me and Mr. Morgan, huh? <laughs> and I love how Mr. Morgan is like, why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Because we're a team. <laughs> and then right before they're about to take the picture, George says to him, did anyone ever tell you you look a lot like Sugar Ray Leonard? <laughs> I guess we all look alike to you, huh, Costanza? <laughs> <laughs> And I think the best part of that is one of the things they mentioned, the DVD extras, that is really something that uh, happened where Larry didn't say it to him, but Larry made an offhand comment where he saw Tom Wright, the actor who plays Mr. Morgan, and he said, oh, man, he kind of looks like Sugar Ray Leonard, doesn't he? And it was one of those things where obviously the back and forth of, you know, Larry being this white guy saying, oh, you know, he kind of looks like this famous black person. Like, is it offensive? Should he bring it up? Should he not? And I think that is a great example of one of the storylines that came from real life, but also one of the things that Larry loved to do where there was these little moments and things in life where in real life, you don't want to say what you're thinking. You don't want to actually do it. But 
you can do it through the vessel of George Costanza. Right. And isn't that so perfect that it came from Larry? Like it wouldn't come from anyone else. Exactly. And both Larry and George, they're, they're not saying it to be like offensive. They're not saying it because, you know, like you said, oh, we all look alike to you. Cause it's like, no, he, so no, there really is a resemblance. And then, I mean, we'll get to it at the end, but George isn't the only one that thinks so. Right. But I think this is such an underrated storyline for George. I feel like it almost gets forgotten in a way. Yeah, and it also is one of those things where it's not really connected to the episode in any meaningful way. The only other time it really gets mentioned otherwise is when Kramer and Jerry are in Monks. Yeah, and that's a great segue because the next scene we're up to is when George is telling Jerry about it at Monks. Jerry is looking at the picture and he tells him maybe it looks a little like Sugar Ray Leonard, but he still shouldn't have said it. And then George says to him, so you really think Morgan thinks that I have a racial bias? Maybe. It's so unfair. I would have watched on Selma if it was in Long Island. (laughs) So you'd have watched on Great Nick. Absolutely. I still might. They always hated those girls. They would never date me. (laughs) Kramer then shows up at Monk's. He's taking Jerry to the airport. And Kramer is surprised that Jerry has no luggage, just a pad and a pen. But he needs to stop off at a drugstore first to pick up a toothbrush. Yeah, this was something else they mentioned that was real life Jerry showing up on the show where, yeah, when he would go to certain events, you know, do a comedy thing, he would just bring yeah, a notebook and a toothbrush. He would just pack very lightly. And I thought that was kind of fun because that's definitely like a very Jerry Seinfeld type of thing where it's like, I don't need to bring much with me. You know, just need this. It's all right. Oh, yeah, I love that. And I love that he still writes his jokes on a yellow pad with a big pen. Oh, yeah. And he wrote all the Seinfeld scripts that way as well. George then shows Kramer the picture of Mr. Morgan. And this is a great scene, so I think we'll listen to it. Hey, Kramer. What does that look like? I don't know. Come on, come on. Not salt, but... Uh, Pepper Johnson? (laughs) No. Sugar Ray Lemon. Oh, no way. I'll tell you what. I'll bet you the next three people I ask, two of them will say that it looks like sugar rice. How much? $100? $200? Thousand. Hey, wait a second. What are you doing? You're not betting. You know he's not supposed to bet. Come on, Jerry. It's a lock. Kramer, you've had this thing under control for almost three years now. Don't start again. But it's a lock, No. (laughs) So what are you going to do about Morgan? You know, it'd be great if he could just see me with some of my black friends. Yeah, except you don't really have any black friends. Outside of us, you don't really have any white friends either. <laughs> and we definitely mentioned this scene when we discussed Jerry's best George insults. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great one. And when Kramer is like, how much? $100? $200? $1,000? That reminds me a little bit of the contest when George says to Elaine, you got to give us odds. At least two to one. You got to put up $200. And Kramer's like, no, 1000 <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jerry's response when he says to Kramer about, uh, you know, I don't want you betting. That reminds me of uh, the pony remark where, you know, Jerry and Kramer are making the bet. And Helen goes, I don't want you betting. Morty, don't let them bet. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is the first episode we learn that Kramer has a problem with gambling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, we see him gambling in the subway, but we don't know he necessarily has a problem. We just he heard something on the subway and decided to go betting. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could kind of infer it because he's supposed to go downtown and pay off all his tickets. Instead of doing that, he decides to put the money on the horse. But yeah, it was actually uh, Jerry's idea to give Kramer a gambling problem to kind of give it a little more texture. Because originally, I think it was just going to be Kramer sort of hanging out at the diplomats club, you know, with all these high powered people, you know, just pretending he fits in, but leave it to Jerry to give it that little extra punch up. Yeah. That was a great suggestion. Cause I really love Kramer's story in this episode. And I, the episode just wouldn't be the same if Kramer was just hanging out at the diplomats club, not really doing too much. Yeah. It would be a much weaker storyline. And then the next scene is one of my favorites from this episode. When George shows up at Joe Temple's apartment. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, another great guest star comeback that, I mean, Joe Temple's really up there. He might be in my top 10 of, like, guest stars and just the whole scene. <laughs> George, he just shows up at his house. <laughs> like, <laughs> Hello, Joe. It's me, George Costanza. <laughs> Who? You remember I was here a while back? We watched Breakfast at Tiffany's together. What do you want? <laughs> Well, I've rented another movie, Joe, and there's some popcorn. I thought we could do it again. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love when Remy shows up in the lobby and she's like, Daddy, that man's here again. Oh, Remy, I want you upstairs instantly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, poor George. I mean, yeah, granted, yes, he shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, it's not like he's a dangerous person, you know, <laughs> no but, but that's so weird can you imagine it, if I, oh it's very weird yeah no it's it's not again i'm not excusing what he did but at the same time it's kind of just uh what, what a great scene <laughs> yeah so in the next scene jerry and kramer are at the pharmacy kramer knocks over a display case and jerry tells him he'll take care of it just pull the car around he'll meet him outside and then we get one of those classic sitcom misunderstandings when Mr. Pitt walks in and sees Jerry all dressed up, putting everything back on the display case. He just assumes Jerry works there. <laughs> well, not only does he assume Jerry works there, he's just, he assumes he's a pharmacist, too, <laughs> which to me is kind of odd. But, you know, he didn't even check for a name tag or anything. He just finds some guy. And I love that Jerry has the pen in his ear. I think that's a great touch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Excuse me. I take hot medication. What would you recommend for a runny nose? Take an antihistamine. They're over there. It is all right to take them. Oh, yeah, they're great. What about appetite suppressants? Oh, I just saw them. Oh, yeah, here you go. Oh, thank you, young man. Have a good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem a little odd to me, though, that Jerry would just be so helpful and pretend, you know, this guy would ask him a question. He would just, instead of being like, oh, you know, maybe you better ask the guy behind the counter. He would just assume, oh, no, they're great. You know, I take them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good day, sir. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It doesn't really seem like his character to do something like that, but it is a funny scene. Oh, it's a great scene. And it's also the first time that Jerry and Mr. Pitt have ever met face to face. Face to face. Yeah, because we do get that great scene on the phone. Hey, Mr. Pitt. Is Elaine there? <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to Jerry and Kramer at the Diplomats Club. Jerry is telling Kramer he's looking for this woman named Katie who's been booking him on a bunch of college tours. She thinks he's some big celebrity that has to be pampered and explained every little thing. Kramer then tells Jerry he's going to get some snacks before his flight. <laughs> and, and that was one thing they kind of mentioned about Jerry that's more real life Jerry coming through is that 
you know, he's somebody that really didn't want to have a bunch of people around him. He didn't need to be pampered. He didn't need to like, you know, he could figure things out for himself. He, he didn't want that kind of attention. And I just love the fact that he has to deal with this person. And she's almost like, you know, like a female Kenny Banya in a way, you know, where he, she's annoying him. But at the same time, he has to, you know, she's the one working for him. So she has to uh, be around. So he has to, you know, be somewhat polite. He can't just totally blow her off. Right. And of course, Katie, played by the great Deborah Jo Rupp. Oh, yeah. Just an outstanding performance. Kitty Foreman herself. You found the airport all right? Yes, I followed the planes. (laughs) But I was thinking about this as I was watching the episode. There are very few people we see throughout the series that annoy Jerry more than Katie. (laughs) You can maybe count them on on one hand. It's very rare that he gets this annoyed by someone. Yeah, and you can really tell that he just does not want to deal with her at all. But I'm betting that it's somebody that, you know, she's really good for his career so he has to put up with it. But yeah, you're right. Like he did, like I said, like Kenny Banya is another one that just he doesn't want to be around, but he just you can see the visible annoyance on his face. Yeah, Sally Weaver is another one too. Oh yeah. <laughs> in the next scene, Elaine arrives at Mr. Pitts and finds him lying in bed with a doctor by his side. She asks Lenore Walker, Mr. Pitt's estate lawyer, what happened, and she tells her that she arrived to discuss his will when she found him collapsed on the floor. And then I love when Lenore's like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Pitt tells her, this is the girl I put in my will. And the actress who plays Lenore Walker, her name is Kim Zimmer, and I thought she gave a great performance as well in this episode. Oh, yeah, she does a great job. I believe she was in Guiding Light. Um, so she was a seasoned like soap actress and you can really see it come through because this is one of those storylines that I think wasn't done too often on Seinfeld, but just really done very well where it was this very dramatic situation and, you know, really played for comedy. You know, like we kind of talked about it in the Babu episode, like these things were these dramatic situations that were played for comedy and in the commentary, they say it's almost like a Hitchcockian type of thing where, you know, you have this woman who you're not quite sure what her motives are. And you have the, this woman, Lenore Walker, who's really, you know, is looking out for his best interest. And it's this dramatic irony where, you know, we know Elaine wouldn't do anything to Mr. Pitt to harm him. You know, she's being genuine. But at the same time, there's just these little misunderstandings, little tidbits that happen that really make you question it. Yeah, and she has some great line readings and just fantastic facial expressions throughout this episode that just really enhance the scenes. Oh, yeah. I like when she's like, you're the assistant. Why weren't you taking care of him? (laughs) Right. Well, he gave me the morning off. I was doing a little shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Elaine then asks what happened, and the doctor tells her he took a very dangerous combination of prescription heart medication and these other pills. And then Elaine tells Mr. Pitt, you're supposed to talk to the pharmacist. I spoke to someone there. I think he was a pharmacist. Oh, I'm going to call that pharmacy. And then I love when Lenora is like, how well do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see the gears turning in Mr. Pitt's head like, oh, how well do I know her? You know? Yeah. There's also kind of this dark subtext to that as well, where Lenora probably has seen her fair share of instances where 
you know, it was this, this rich old man or rich old woman who didn't have any family and had some sort of caretaker. And, you know, they <laughs> like the person tried to kill them after they got in the will or, you know, before they could be written out of the will. So, you know, who knows? She's probably seen some stuff. And I think that her reaction is just really well done. Oh, yeah, me too. I also like the next scene when Jerry is on the plane with Katie and she's warning him that they're going to tell them what to do in the event of a crash. Yes, I know. I've flown before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I just didn't want you to freak out. (laughs) I also like when she asks him, do you have to use the bathroom? No, I don't. (laughs) And then a few seconds go by and then she's like, because even if you don't have to go, you better go now because you won't have another chance again until well after takeoff. (laughs) I love how he just gets up. As soon as she starts a little spiel just to get away. <laughs> yeah, he's already like halfway up the aisle before she's even done with her sentence. <laughs> oh, that's so great. But from what we know of Jerry's stand-up, though, in real life, he does love those little airplane bathrooms. So it's like having your own apartment there on the plane. <laughs> and then back at the Diplomats Club, Kramer is enjoying his snack when he starts up a conversation with Earl Hafler. Oh, yes, the first appearance of Earl Hafler. Yes, another great character in this episode. Yeah, and I'm so glad that they brought him back later on. Yeah, it's interesting. Two characters that first appear in season six, Earl Hafler and Katie, they then reappear in season eight. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And this is another great scene, so I think we'll listen to it. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. Name's Kramer. Earl Hafler. Nice to meet you. I'm headed to Houston. Where are you headed? Oh, I'm happy right here. This place amazing. Planes flying in from all corners of the world, and they know the minute when they're arriving. Ah, they don't know a darn thing. That's why my flight to Houston's been delayed. They're all morons. Matter of fact, I'll bet you that that flight to Pittsburgh takes off before my flight to Houston. Bet? Um, not bet Friendly way. No, I made a bet in uh, three years. I don't know. Oh, come on. Keep things interesting. Pass the time. <laughs> okay, how much? How about 200? You're on, cowboy. Just <laughs> a classic Michael Richards delivery right there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and I love the dynamic of, you know, this wiry, thin Kramer and, you know, this big guy and larger than life earl Hafler, all dressed up in his you know houston garb then you got kramer you know this you know uh, hipster doofus new yorker <laughs> and uh they they find a way to bond you know over over the gambling addiction <laughs> we then cut to george on the street trying to start up a conversation with an african-american gentleman <laughs> <laughs> oh man <laughs> and i don't know what it is about this actor but i just love him in this scene I mean, he doesn't say much, but when George is like, nice day today, he almost looks worried when George says this. He's like, what? (laughs) Well, that's the thing is in New York, that's not really something you do. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is a very New York scene, which I love. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anybody that approaches you like that, you're like, well, what is this guy about? You know, exactly. And one thing, too, and obviously we'll talk about it a little later because there's another scene where George tries to approach somebody. But do you notice he's almost trying to approach people that look like him. They're like, you know, <laughs> short, stocky, you know, balding, <laughs> balding. Yes. <laughs> I noticed you threw stocky in there. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but when George says nice day, that also reminds me of the finale when strangers keep coming up to him and saying nice day. 
Oh, yeah. Again with this? <laughs> Back at the Diplomats Club, Creamer and Earl are about to find out which flight is arriving at gate 12. This could be Mexico City. Come on, Seattle. Come on, Mexico City. <laughs> <laughs> flight number 42 from Mexico City. and the other people in the room seem to be really into it like do you think they're betting as well or they're just kind of getting caught up in the moment with them oh that's interesting uh because i think i see a woman in the background holding money so not quite sure yeah they, they could have gotten other people in on the action and said hey you know it's something to pass the time so you know nothing else to do there except you know eat snacks and drink coffee so why not and obviously right. people that are going to be hanging out there are going to have some money, some extra money floating around. So More than some monies. Many, many monies. <laughs> and then I love in the next scene when Elaine is getting the pillow from Mr. Pitt. And when Lenore walks in, it looks like Elaine is trying to smother him to death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that scene so much because Elaine is just so innocent because, you know, she kind of looks up. She goes, oh, hi. Like, you know, <laughs> look on Lenore's face. <laughs> oh, it, her look is that's what I was talking about before her facial expressions. I, just amazing. It's almost as much of a horrified look as Mrs. Enright when she catches George. <laughs> yes. And this next scene is great, too. This is when Jerry is backstage with Katie before he's about to do a set in Ithaca. And Katie has a little bit of advice for him. So let's listen. It's a pretty full house. The lighting guy's name is Lou. He's got a birthday next week. <laughs> By the way, Jerry, I, I don't want you to freak out, but the pilot is going to be in the audience. Who? Remember the plane we took here? The pilot is going to be sitting out there watching the show. I, I don't care. Why are you telling me this? I, I just didn't want you to freak out when you saw him. Why would I freak out? Pilot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a big hand for Mr. Jerry Seinfeld. Hey. All right, good afternoon, Ithaca. Welcome. Good to see you here. Boy, I tell you, I noticed there's a lot of those uh, orange cones you have out on the throughway on the way. Up here, uh... Um, I, 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 uh... <laughs> it's so great. And after that whole incident at the Oscars a few weeks ago with Will Smith slapping Chris Rock, there was a great meme from this scene. It had Katie coming up to Jerry and telling him, I don't want you to freak out, but Will Smith is going to be in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh. Yeah, and there's some interesting tidbits uh, from behind the scenes of this episode. One of the things that I don't think I realized, you know, even watching it all these years and watching with the DVD extras, is that this is the only time that we see Jerry doing his stand-up in a club that's not in New York City. And, uh, yeah, obviously we have, you know, in the finale, he's performing in the jail, and then, you know, he's performing on The Tonight Show. But actually doing, like, a performance in a club, this is the only time that we see him outside of the city is when he's in Ithaca. Oh, wow. That is interesting. I never realized that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't either. And um, this was also another thing that was based on Jerry's real life uh, where he was doing a performance somewhere. And they said, oh, you know, the pilot from the plane that you were on is going to be in the audience. And he was kind of like, oh, what, what do I care? You know, he just wants to enjoy the show. And then he looks and the guy does kind of have like this weird look on his face. <laughs> And I also love that in that scene where Jerry 
you know, he's probably only like half paying attention to what Katie's saying. But she feels she has to explain, you know, the plane that we took here, the pilot is going to be in the audience. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Jerry doesn't know what a pilot is. <laughs> and I think they talk about it on the DVDs, but they had the hardest time casting someone to play the pilot for this episode. Yep. And that's a great story, too, that Jerry says they, you know, were trying to find all these extras and they couldn't find somebody. Finally, it was the Sparklets water delivery guy. And Jerry goes, hey, that guy looks like a pilot. (laughs) (laughs) And then apparently the guy ended up quitting his delivery job and decided to pursue an acting career. Isn't that amazing? I mean, yeah. What other show would you ever see that on? I mean, it's so great. And he does. He looks like a pilot. And I just love the look on his face. It's this great look of, like, confusion and also amusement. And, (laughs) you know, he has no idea that uh, Jerry's been told about him. Yeah, he's uh, so perfect in that scene and just a great call by Jerry. Oh, definitely. And I also love the fact that Jerry wrote this material about, you know, having a lot of the cones out on the throughway. And it would be something that any other circumstance he would be fine with. It would be innocuous, but he feels like he's going to offend the pilot or something by saying that he took the throughway <laughs> to get to Ithaca instead of taking a plane. <laughs> right. <laughs> Meanwhile, we get a quick shot of George approaching every black person he can find on the street. (laughs) (laughs) And no one wants anything to do with him, of course. Well, it's like Jerry says, you don't have any black friends outside of us. You don't have any white friends either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't even imagine like having some random guy just come up to you and like just try talking to you out of nowhere (laughs) on the street. (laughs) And like, what is he even saying to them? I mean... (laughs) I guess he's just saying, hi, how are you, you know, or maybe by that point, he's just he's literally just telling him his motives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the guy seemed really pissed off. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe George is also trying to, you know, get into the bald solidarity. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And then we cut back to Ithaca after Jerry gets done with his set. And this is another great scene with Katie. It didn't go very well, did it? No, it didn't. And you know why? Seeing that pilot in the audience really freaked me out. If you hadn't mentioned anything, I would have been fine. I became obsessed with him. Why did I invite him? Stupid, stupid. When he asked for tickets, I should have said no. I'm going to go chew him out. Oh, it doesn't matter now. Don't you worry, Jerry. I am on top of this. Yeah, yeah, you're on top of it. And I'm on the bottom. (laughs) And then back at the Diplomats Club, things aren't going very good for Kramer. Well, Mr. Kramer, looks like you're in the hole $3,200. Will that be cash <laughs> or check? Kramer tells him, come on, one more bet. Double or nothing. Earl agrees, but he wants to see some cash on the table first. So Kramer then says he needs to call his bank, a.k.a. Newman. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> he tells Newman he needs some cash, and I love when Newman's like, oh, no. Don't tell me. You're gambling again, aren't you? Oh, you weak, weak man. (laughs) Where are you? Kramer tells him they're at the airport. They're betting on arrivals and departures. But he's down 3,200 bucks, so Newman's got to get him some cash. I don't have that kind of dough. Sure you do. Oh, no, 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 not the bag. Now help me, man. I'm desperate. All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) 
In the next scene, Jerry and Katie are on the plane flying back to New York when the pilot makes an announcement saying that he's sorry for the delay. There's been a slight complication, but they're taking care of it and they'll be on their way to LaGuardia shortly. What is the complication? (laughs) And then here she is, the great Christine Cattell. Let's listen to her fantastic performance in the scene. Mr. Seinfeld? Yes. I'm sorry, but the pilot has asked that you leave this plane. What? Apparently, he has some sort of problem with you. I'm not surprised. I really let him have it, Jerry. He had no business being in your audience if you didn't want him there. I didn't care. Well, now the pilot doesn't want you on his plane. But he can't just throw me off the plane. Yes, he can, if he has cause to believe that a passenger will be a disturbance. But I'm not a disturbance. Well, apparently you are disturbing him. Sir. But someone is waiting for me. Jerry, I don't want you to freak out. I'm freaking out! I am freaking out! Oh, man, one of the best scenes of the episode, for sure. And we asked Christine all about it, of course. We first asked her if she came in just for her scene only or if she was there for the entire week. And this is what she had to say. Oh, I was just there for my scene only. And it was just my from the regular cast. It was just Jerry. So he and I were the only ones to interact for that scene. And I, but I did remember seeing Julia there and a few other people were milling around getting ready to shoot their scene. Um, and just was so impressed at what a well-oiled machine it was. I mean, it it went like clockwork and everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing and where they were supposed to be. And, and they were a very tight-knit ship too. But it was it was a lovely atmosphere and and was over before I even realized what had hit me. It we, you know, did a few takes and shook hands and and that was about it. And what was it like to work with Jerry, uh, both on camera and off? He is he was very friendly. Obviously, the man has a had a lot on his mind. Um, he's got people coming at him from every direction, but he certainly made me feel important and a relevant part of the show and uh, certainly very easy to play off of. He's a natural and such a pro at what he does. And um, from what I can remember, because I hate to admit how long ago it was, 1995, which was, oh, one little tidbit that not many people know. In fact, you guys are the first, I think, to that I've said this publicly. I was actually pregnant, newly pregnant with oh, wow. my daughter when I did this scene. <laughs> yeah. So That's it's amazing, amazing I could remember my lines. Because <laughs> <laughs> then those <laughs> hormones kick in. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, well, so yeah, that her. was kind of a yeah, she was born in 96 and I did this in 95. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. So I tell her she can always put it on her resume that she was in Seinfeld. (laughs) (laughs) And your delivery was so great in that scene because you're giving Jerry this bad news, but you're telling him like this upbeat, positive way. So was that any direction that you were given or was that your choice? Um, It it was collaborative. Comedy is always collaborative. I think the, the note I was given was that I'm the consummate professional. 
<laughs> and no matter what hell is breaking loose around me, I never lose my cool or my smile. So that's kind of what we worked on and what we went with. And so as he's going, I'm not freaking out. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure no one else can hear and everybody else is happy on our flight. And so, yeah, it was um, it was a well-written scene. And uh, they basically gave me the direction in the audition. And, and when it came time to doing the scene, they basically said, okay, you know what to do, do it. But it was fun. We, we did a few takes, um, played around with it a little bit, but basically stuck to the script. They're so well written and the timing is so precise on every Seinfeld show that there's, there's not really any ad-libbing or, or going off script at all. It was, it's all there on the page. The show's, the show's so well done. Oh yeah. It's like clockwork. Yeah, it is. The whole, the whole, the production, the script, everything was like clockwork. They, they had their formula. It was brilliant. Why mess with success? And they got year after year out of it. So I love how close you're talking to him too. Like you have this big smile on your face and you're like <laughs> inches away from him and he's all stressed out. Oh, just so great. <laughs> well, the, the flight attendants always sort of lean in like it's just yeah. you and them on the flight, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Did you film that scene in front of the audience? No, um, we, they had to create a set that looked like an airplane. So we were on a, on a soundstage. Was it a different soundstage than like where the apartment and the coffee shop is, or is, it was the same lot, but just a different area? It was the same lot, but a different area, because it was a pretty big, they had, they, they really did a pretty good job of creating that plane. Were you able to visit the main set at all and see the apartment and the coffee shop or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I did. I just walked through it, and um, yeah, it was, it was kind of like, you know, the world of Seinfeld there, it was, oh, and there's that, oh, and there's that, yep. <laughs> it must have been so surreal. <laughs> it's very surreal when you go on a set that you've been watching anytime. I mean, it never gets old, even as you go from, you know, one gig to another. It's it's always very surreal, and you, you know that um, – this is its downtime and pretty soon it's going to be animated and full of the life that you've come to know. So it's really cool seeing the, uh, the bones of a show. Right. <laughs> um, did you or Jerry break it all when you were filming that scene? Um, I think there were a couple of times where he got a little more hysterical than others, but um, yeah, we just tried the scene a few different times at different levels of hysteria. It's pretty hard to find a scene where Jerry's not smirking. I that's always great, found that, he that's has that's a great that, point. He always has that little grin the size of side of his mouth that, that makes you realize he's having a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think that's why I think that's one of the reasons he's so popular and people relate to him because he really looks like he's enjoying himself, even when he's having a panic attack or or whatever. You, uh, at least I always kind of notice that little twinkle in the eye and the and the and the the grin. 
And I think that's part, he's loving this. He's loving every minute of what he does. And there's nothing more enjoyable than watching somebody love what they do, right? Yeah, that's true. Do you have any memories of working with Larry David that week? It was really, um, again, introducing. And I, and I, I do remember him saying, just do what you did. Okay, and I'm panicking in my mind thinking, okay, I hope I can remember what I did. <laughs> That's such a Larry thing to say, too. Like, oh, yeah, just, just do what, do what you, you did. did. <laughs> but I guess that's a good thing because if he didn't like it, then he would have, you know, he, he would have let you know. He would have stopped it completely and said, you know, yeah. oh, boy, this isn't working, you know. Yeah. And if, if he really didn't like it, I wouldn't even have gotten there. So exactly. <laughs> he, um, I mean, the first sign of approval is getting the job, I guess. And then when they, and, you know, in all honesty, that's not at all uncommon in television, especially a show like Seinfeld or Dear John was another sitcom I did that was very much like a well-oiled machine and extremely well-written. They, uh, they know what they're doing and they come in and they do it. And it's very clean and it's um, yeah, they, they, you can see why they're successful. You can see that they know what they're doing and they stick to it. And you mentioned earlier that you saw Julia on the set that week. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you about her? Uh, Julia was, I remember her very clearly because um, she was on the phone the whole time and uh, sounded like everyone was after her for something. <laughs> she was, she was very busy. Um, and I think we might have just kind of, I think she just sort of gave me a welcome wave and, and that was it. Um, and I believe I saw Jason walking across somewhere, probably to his dressing room or something like that, but we weren't introduced and didn't really come in the same hemisphere. And that, that was about it. Yeah. What didn't you know about Seinfeld that you now know after being a part of it? That's a good question. Um, I guess probably the biggest impact I had was just how approachable the key people were in terms of like Jerry just was like another actor. He wasn't um, standoffish or acting like this is my show and you're just a part of it. He was very much uh had a collaborative energy and very welcoming so you you're reminded each time when you meet these people who are so iconic yeah they're just they're just people too they're just people too and yeah. they want the show to be they want you to be as good as you possibly can so it only makes sense that they're gonna want you to feel at ease and welcome and and all that and were you happy with how the scene turned out? I was. I was. It was cute. It was very cute. And <laughs> I, I still get residuals. <laughs> I think I could probably buy a, a Starbucks coffee with what I get for residuals now. It's just <laughs> down to a very, very humble amount. But, um, yeah, I still get residuals for it. Yeah. <laughs> I love whenever we talk to an actor and they tell us about their residuals. Oh, yeah. It really gives a human quality to the interview. Yeah. And we'll have more from our interview with Christine at the end of the episode. But in the next scene, Jerry is trying to book another flight back to New York. 
Katie found one for the next morning, but Jerry tells her he has to get back home tonight. Bridget's waiting for him at the Diplomats Club, so he tells her to rent a car instead. Mid-sized luxury or sports model, what's your preference? <laughs> I don't have a preference, okay? Just make a decision yourself, all right? Stop bothering me with every minor detail, please? Okay, you're the big celebrity. <laughs> Jerry calls George to ask him if he can go to the Diplomats Club, but before he can even get a word out, George has a question for him. Hey, Jerry, what was the name of that exterminator that you used when you fumigated your apartment for fleas? Uh, Carl, I think. Carl, yeah. He was a nice guy. Yeah, he was nice. What company did he work for again? Defend. Yeah, you know, we spoke for a little bit. You need an exterminator? No, not really. No, don't tell me. Because he's black. (laughs) Gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) George. George. (laughs) That's such a Seinfeldian thing, too, where one of the characters has a problem and they go to them or they call them up and they just get completely ignored, you know, just for their own selfish gain. It's wonderful. It's the best. So then Jerry tries calling Elaine at Mr. Pitts, and I love when Lenore tells Elaine she has a call from Jerry and Elaine's reading Fatal Vision. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a great choice. Jerry tells Elaine that he needs her to go down to the Diplomats Club to meet Bridget for him because he's going to be late. He doesn't want Bridget to think he stood her up. He'll never get another date with her. She'll freak out. (laughs) Okay, okay. You sound a little freaked out yourself. I am a little freaked out. Calm down. I'll take care of it. All right, you have to leave now. I said I'd take care of it. (laughs) Another great reaction from Lenore, too. Oh, yeah, I know. And, yeah, and once again, like, very dramatic stuff going on here. Like, obviously, in real life, you know, it's not anything that's earth-shattering. It's, you know, Jerry trying to keep a girl. But, you know, the, the mind boggles of, like, what Lenore thinks she's talking about. And I love just freaked out jerry that's something that we don't see too often because you know usually jerry's the the calm one he's the guy even steven things work out for him and in this he's just really you know you you can see that jerry's really got some acting chops you know in this uh in this season six by the time it gets to this point yeah and i also like how jerry is looking worse and worse as the episode is moving along yeah yeah he looks more and more disheveled (laughs) and back at the diplomats club this is another great scene Newman arrives with the bag Kramer requested, and let's listen to it. Kramer. Hey. Okay. Here it is. Good. Here's my collateral. So it's a mailbag. So what? So what? Do you know whose mailbag that is? David Berkowitz. Son of Sam. The worst mass murderer the post office ever produced. Where'd you get this? I took over his route. And boy, were there a lot of dogs on that route. And you talking to you? Just to tell me to keep off the snacks. <laughs> Your buddy's a hell of a guy. Yeah, don't I know it. <laughs> okay, Cosmo, we're back in business. Yeah. Let's check out the board. Uh-huh. Now, uh, who do you like? All right, how about Ithaca versus Boston? All right, I'm going to give you a sporting chance. I'll take Ithaca. Double or nothing. Double or nothing. I hope you know what you're doing. (laughs) Another amazing reaction from Michael Richards. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I think Newman was added to this story late. 
because like we mentioned before, this wasn't Kramer's original storyline. So I think it was Larry David who decided that they hadn't had Newman on in a while. So they included him in this story, which was just perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he fits in so well with this whole thing of, you know, because he you can tell he's he knows Kramer's proclivity for gambling and then he's had a problem in the past and you can hear it in his voice when you know even when he first answered the phone he's like oh hey what's up you know he's kind of a little little nervous and then as the conversation goes he's weak weak man you know (laughs) but he's always gonna help out his buddy and then i love in the next scene when katie is driving jerry and jerry wakes up and he's like where are we i'm not sure (laughs) is this even a road Oh, we lost the road about an hour ago. <laughs> what? Why didn't you wake me up? Oh, you said you didn't want to be bothered with any minor details. No, road is a major detail. <laughs> and then I love when she's like, should I keep driving? And he's like, look out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that <sighs> moment, she decides to go back to pestering Katie. <laughs> And then back at Yankee Stadium, poor Carl shows up at George's office. He's very confused. He's like, why didn't you want me to bring my equipment or my uniform? (laughs) (laughs) Although I think that's a great excuse that George comes up with for why he doesn't want him to to dress up. Because he says, I don't want anybody else, you know, freaking out, seeing an exterminator. Yeah. Very jittery group. (laughs) Besides, this is sort of a friendly visit. Do I know you? Yeah, sure. We met at Jerry Seinfeld's apartment when you fumigated for fleas over there. Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. Funny white guy, right? Jerry? Yes, I suppose he is white. (laughs) You know, I never really thought about it. I don't really see people in terms of color. You know, there's someone I want you to meet. And then George tries to call Mr. Morgan, but he left for dinner. Carl, you hungry? (laughs) (laughs) I love the look on Carl's face. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Is this guy asking me out? Like, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) And then in the next scene, Mr. Pitt is watching TV with Lenore. Here's a new twist on carpooling. Early this morning, a lost Manhattanite drove through a residential backyard and wound up in a swimming pool in Ithaca, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Comedian Jerry Seinfeld, a passenger, seemed a little freaked out. And then Jerry's like, that's it. No more questions. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I love that little detail, too, that that the swimming pool is still in Ithaca. So for as long as they were driving around, they never left. (laughs) Oh, it's perfect. I love when Mr. Pitt recognizes him right away, too. That's him. That's the man that gave me the pills at the drugstore. He's no pharmacist. (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld. I know that name. He called here earlier for Elaine. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the next scene, George and Carl arrive at a very fancy restaurant to see Mr. Morgan. And I love how Carl is wearing like a white T-shirt and sweatpants. <laughs> oh, so I perfect. <laughs> how did they let him in? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we'll listen to the rest of the scene. Oh, by, by the way, order anything you want. It's all on me. Just do me a tiny favor. Pretend we're old friends. <laughs> oh, my God. Mr. Morgan, what a coincidence. It's Mr. Morgan. Come here. Mr. Morgan, I want you to meet a dear old friend of mine, Carl. <laughs> I'm the exterminator. <laughs> That's what we used to call him in high school, the exterminator. <laughs> He's a linebacker. Oh, boy. Oh, did we have some wild times. <laughs> 
Ugh, Mr. Morgan is so great in this episode. Oh, it's some of his best work. Yeah, I love his reaction after Carl says, I'm the exterminator. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks at George like, what the hell? And I also love the, the fact that he's eating alone. You know, he probably just wants to be by himself at a nice dinner, not be disturbed by anybody. Maybe his wife is out of town or something. And he's like, I just want to, you know, feel all of a sudden there's this guy that he can't stand showing up with this random stranger. <laughs> Yeah, I love how he freezes like mid-bite as soon as he hears George's voice. And then this next scene is at the Diplomats Club, and this is sort of where most of the stories come to a head. So I think we'll listen to this scene as well. Well, that Newman was your good luck charm. Yeah, he sure was. I should have quit it, double or nothing. Mm -hmm. Traveler's check's acceptable. Oh, I accept. Yeah, he worked in the cubicle right next to me. We once double dated. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's a pleasure doing business with a gentleman like yourself. <laughs> Kramer! Oh, Elaine, what are you doing here? Hi, Jerry asked me to meet his girlfriend here. Did you hear about his plane in Ithaca? What no. about the plane in Ithaca? Oh, our stupid friend freaked out the pilot. Yeah? Single-handedly delayed the plane a whole hour. Can you believe that? What? Your friend caused the delay? Uh-huh. You're a cheat. What? No, no, what? Nobody hustles Earl Happen. Oh, come on! See you around, Cosmo. What? I love that moment when Newman says, he worked in the cubicle right next to me. We once double dated. <laughs> oh, the guy he's talking to is fascinated. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if that double date was with Margaret from The Big Salad. Oh, Yeah. She wasn't his type. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because this kind of goes back to when the show takes place, you know, in that pre-9-11 world where all these people can just kind of walk into the airport. You know, they don't have tickets. They don't even belong to the club. And, you know, nobody's really stopping them. I also love at the end, too, Kramer's standing there and he's lighting up a cigar and no one's saying a word. Oh, yeah, it's true. Such a different time. And then we cut to Mr. Pitts, and Elena's like, poison you? Jerry Seinfeld tried to poison you. What? Mr. Pitt, what are you, delirious? He's never even met you. (laughs) (laughs) You're fired, Elaine. Goodbye. Goodbye? (laughs) Cue the way we were music. (laughs) Uh, What a great montage from all the Mr. Pitt moments from the series. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. But it is an interesting artistic choice because that's not something they very really did on the show very often where they'd have this, you know, montage of moments. It's almost it's very sentimental in a way. Oh, it definitely is. But I do think it works in this scene. Oh, yeah, it works. And when I was watching this episode and this moment came up, I said to myself, I can't wait till we do an episode about Mr. Pitt. So that's going to oh, be great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. One of Elaine's best and quirkiest bosses, for sure. Yeah, he did such a great job. It's too bad uh, Ian Abercrombie's no longer with us. He's somebody yeah. that I would have loved to talk to. Because oh, he just too. seemed so, like, he he had that kind of, you know, proper persona as well. You know, and he'd been a very established, a very skilled actor. And then people started recognizing him for Seinfeld. And I think that was just such a different world for him. And I, But he also loved it. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And even though it was sad to see him go, he does come back in the finale, of course. She tried to smother me with a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the last scene, Jerry finally arrives at the Diplomats Club. He's very late, but Bridget's flight doesn't leave for another half hour. 
So they start making out in one of the rooms, but Jerry gets distracted when he looks out the window and he sees, oh, my God, it's him, the pilot. (laughs) (laughs) And poor Bridget looks so confused because Jerry is – I just love that last freeze frame where Jerry's hand is out. He's he's got the (laughs) wide eyes. He's shrouding. And she's just looking at like, well, what's the big deal? Just the pilot. Like, it's it's an airport, you know? (laughs) (sighs) And I love the behind the scenes story of that, too, that they got to close down a runway at Burbank Airport and that they got this – you know, guy to get these the special permission to sit behind the seat of the plane. And they had this truck to, and it just really shows that at that point in the series, they were pretty much allowed to do whatever they wanted. You know, they were at the height of their powers and it just really shows in this episode. And it's, even though it's just for this little, you know, a few second clip that you see at the end, it's like, wow. when you really think about it. Yeah. It definitely makes you appreciate it even more. And then we just get one final scene with George, Carl, and Mr. Morgan out to dinner. George says, I love this place. You know, Carl and I come here all the time. Is that right? (laughs) And then Carl's like, yeah, I come here all the time. You wouldn't believe the rat droppings in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so you really are an exterminator. This time, George, you've sunk to a new low. And then George asks for the check, and the waiter's like, hey, Sugar Ray Leonard could eat here on the house. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Morgan, Mr. Morgan. Morgan. (laughs) Uh, And this scene gave birth to perhaps one of the greatest bloopers of all time with Carl the Exterminator. (laughs) He says, yeah, I come here all the time. You wouldn't believe the rat turds in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Just makes you love me more. Oh, I know. So just a couple more things that I had written down that I wanted to mention about this episode. Um, as you could tell, a lot of different scenes, a lot of moving parts, bouncing back and forth between different places. Uh, the script in total was 85 pages and had a total of 37 scenes, and they had to use two different stages to film it. Wow. Yeah, which I thought was incredible. And on the DVD extras, they have, you know, Andy Ackerman talking about it and Tom Azari, the set designer. Uh, One other thing that I found interesting was that season four was going into syndication at this point. And this was also the time when they decided to reshoot the scenes from the handicapped spot and put Jerry Stiller in place of John Randolph. Uh, Because as we know, John Randolph originally played George's father. And then Jerry Stiller came in as Frank in season five. So they wanted to be consistent with it. And then they had also toyed with the idea of replacing the scenes with Phil Brunn uh, in the stakeout. But by that point, the actors had become older and, uh, you know, the set design had changed enough that it would have been too noticeable. But I love the fact that, you know, you can see and Jason refers to it as, you know, my two dads. I love the fact that you can see the two different actors doing their own thing and one last thing that i thought was kind of interesting was there was a couple of people that had auditioned for katie but one of them was somebody that does go on to appear later on in the summer of george and that's molly shannon and i thought it was kind of an interesting thought exercise to uh have molly shannon playing that character because molly or because the character she plays in the summer of george is so off the wall and, you know, just so crazy. And Katie's not really crazy. She's just annoying. You know, she's over the top, but I don't know. I 
I could see her doing that. Like I know Molly Shannon's a very versatile actress. She's very funny, but I, to me, like Deborah Jo Rupp was just perfect for that role. Oh yeah, it all worked out because Molly Shannon was great in the Summer of George. Elaine, I'm going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this definitely seemed like a very busy episode, and definitely an episode that happened later on in the series. You would never see an episode like this in the first three seasons of the show. Oh, definitely, yeah, and definitely foreshadowing how the show was going to be in the upcoming seasons. You know, with a lot of scenes, a lot of quick scenes. And not as much of these big parts of dialogue where it breathes, you know, but not at all bad in any case. Oh, not at all. It was definitely a fun episode to discuss. But before we go, we're going to play the final part of our interview with Christine. So here it is. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And so before we let you go, we're just going to move on to our final segment. It's called This, That and the Other. Basically, we just ask you a question. And the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. So first question, what role or performance are you proudest of? Um, I can tell you that my favorite kind of job is comedy. My favorite genre to work on is comedy. I started in Toronto on the SCTV show. I don't know. Do you know that with John Candy and, and that whole group, oh. Catherine O'Hara? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was one of my first jobs right out of college, SCTV. And, um, that's when I, thought oh my gosh is there a better job than working in comedy and laughing all day long and being around happy people so that I've really loved and I enjoyed doing Dear John with Judd Hirsch and and I really loved doing Real Bro- Real Bros of Simi Valley oh that was good <laughs> that was that was so and we're supposedly getting a fourth season by the way nice so that's great yeah. It's, it's just that Jimmy Tatro has been so busy. He's doing that series, Home Economics. and uh, But he really wants to do a fourth season. So hopefully I'll get to be that um, dysfunctional mother again. <laughs> but yeah, I, I can't say one job. I really can't uh, because they all had pluses for different reasons. But I can tell you that comedy is my favorite. Who is your favorite actor? Right now, I am loving two British actresses who just seem to put out such quality work. And I also love their spirit. And I love Helen Mirren because I just adore that she can do anything and is fearless and unapologetic and is so comfortable in her own skin. And she doesn't care whether you think she's fabulous or not, because she knows she is. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I just love that empowerment in a person. She's she's I just love her. And and of course, I love her, her work. And um, another actress who is starting to really pick up some speed here is uh, Olivia Coleman. She's extremely well uh, established in the UK, but she's been doing quite a few things here. Um, oh gosh, what was the series she was in? Um, the comedy just recently. Uh, is it Fleabag? Um, Fleabag, thank you. Yeah. I knew it started with yeah. F. She played that mother-in-law from hell. 
that sugar-coated mother-in-law from hell. And I thought she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But those are the kind of performances and women and actors that I really admire. They're, they're fearless, they're gutsy, they, they try new things all the time. And, and gosh, any actor who has that kind of a career is really blessed and talented. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is your favorite film? Um, I have to go with something that I saw recently that I, it's one of the, f- not very often do I watch a movie more than once, unless I really, really love it. And The Father with, again, Olivia Coleman and um, Anthony Hopkins. I thought that was an amazing film for so many different reasons. Everything about it, the direction, the acting, the artistry of it. It was, it was a beautiful movie. That's that popped into my head because it's quite recent, but haven't seen anything in the last year or two that wowed me. What about favorite band or musician? Um, I tend to listen to female vocalists a lot. I love everyone from Sarah Bareilles to Christina Aguilera, Demi Lovato, um, Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, I don't really have a favorite band since the Partridge family. <laughs> <laughs> That's a throwback. <laughs> There's a throwback for you. Um, well, see, being being Canadian, I thought you'd have to answer Rush. I thought that was like a law if you were Canadian. Rush? <laughs> oh, that's, way back. that's even before my time. Yeah. Or oh, I love Rush. Are you Celine Dion. Oh, Celine Dion. Yes. Maybe. Um, yeah, and and you know, there, I don't know if you know this, but there is a Canadian content ruling in Canada where they have to play a certain amount of Canadian content on the radio. So yeah, we would get inundated with Justin Bieber, Celine Dion, over and over and over and over again. A lot of great artists, musical artists, come out of Canada. But you you yeah. get it shoved down your throat, unfortunately. <laughs> well, the Guess Who is one of my favorite uh, Canadian. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were good. <laughs> what TV show are you currently binge watching? I just finished binging uh, Scenes from a Marriage, which is not a comedy, but it's pretty brilliant. Great acting. Um. Oh, the Secrets of Playboy, I'm still currently watching. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all need a little smut in our lives. Um sure no, that's I knew, really interesting though. Yeah, it's yeah, the whole history behind Playboy. I knew few girls who went in went off to become playmates. So I find it kind of interesting to hear the background of what was going on. So that's kind of interesting. What else have I been watching lately? Oh, I was so hooked to succession. Oh, that's a great show. Yeah. I was one of the late ones to the party on that. I thought it was just about a bunch of guys doing business deals and it would just be, you know, basically. And and it wasn't. (laughs) I thought it was so brilliantly written and acted. Can't wait for the next season. Can't wait for the next season of The Crown. Uh, Call My Agent. Do you know that show? No, no, I haven't seen that one. Oh, heard it is so good. It's a French show with subtitles, so a lot of people are turned off because it's subtitles. But it's 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 like an entourage. 
it's okay. it all takes place in an agency, a talent agency, and it it is so good. And it's had about three seasons, but yeah, it's called Call My Agent. You should check it out. Nice. Um, most starstruck you've ever been on the set of a film or TV show? Well, because of my comedy love, um, it was another pinch me moment to work with Judd Hirsch on mm. um, Dear John. It was uh, really cool to work with John Candy. Oh, and I bet. I was his... I was his gerbil, his pet gerbil. He was like, <laughs> his character was Johnny LaRue. He was like uh, kind of a, uh, a sleazy Hugh Hefner. Maybe that's redundant. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was a, a, a Hugh Hefner-esque character. And instead of a Playboy bunny, he had a Playboy gerbil. And I was the gerbil. And uh, it, we had a lot of fun together. Now, Talk about going off script. Yeah, you never oh, yeah. knew what was going to happen on that show. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, John Candy's just a legend. He totally is. And again, you know, just one of those people, he could be your next door neighbor the way he talks to you. He's so, he was so humble and so normal. And let's just all have a good time was kind of his attitude, you know? Yeah. The whole set on SCTV was like that. It was an absolute pleasure to work on. And final thing, favorite moment of your career? It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that's a good answer. I'll let you know. I'll call you. <laughs> All right. We'll be waiting. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. We absolutely loved your scene on Seinfeld. We thought it was one of the highlights of the episode, and you really gave such a great performance, and it was just so funny. Oh, thank you so much. It was it was really just a joy to do. It really was. And he made it easy, you know. He, he just and the, and the writers and everything, you know, you it, it's hard to mess it up. It's so well put together. I thought my parents were the only ones who thought that was a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No, we always say that about um, any guest star that we've talked to or anybody that we see is, you know, even if you had one scene or one line, you know, it doesn't matter. You were a part of Seinfeld, an important part that really made the show what it is. Oh, that's that's nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks again for joining us today. It was a real thrill to talk to you. We hope you have a great night. Thanks, and you too. It was thank such you a so pleasure much. to meet you guys. Yeah, pleasure great to meet, meet you. you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Take Thanks care. so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTBSeinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. I love this place. You know, Carl and I come here all the time. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I come here all the time. You wouldn't believe the rat droppings in the kitchen. <laughs> so you really are an exterminator? This time, George, you sunk to a new low. Check with. Hey, 
Sugar Ray Leonard can eat here on the house. Yeah. 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 